Take your Bibles and turn once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. If you are a follower of our, of our ministry here, if you come to our church and so forth, and if you're halfway observant, uh, you might realize I'm going to skip over five or six sermons uh, to get to the one we're looking at today. Now, I promise to go back later and get those, but uh, we're skipping over to chapter 4, toward the end of chapter 4, uh, because this is uh, because of what we're doing today. This is Father's Day, and this is a... Uh, a day of these baby's dedications and this particular sermon that I just finished working on, uh, I realized that what a perfect sermon to jump to today. It's a ministry of a father is the title of the sermon. Uh, Paul described himself uh, by a lot of terms in the book of 1 Corinthians. He called himself a servant of God. He called himself a steward of the mysteries of God. He called himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. And now he calls himself a father. Uh, and there's some evidence, some believe that Paul was actually married and had children at one time uh, because uh, he was, may have been a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin, or the ruling council. And if that was true, that it was a requirement to have, be married and have children. So if that, that's a possibility, but we don't know that. And, and if he uh, was married at one time, we don't know what happened to his family. It's possible that uh, after he became a believer, they left him. Uh, that happens, and Jesus even warned of that happening. But uh, we don't know that. That's all really guesswork. But what we do know is that he, as he went forth serving Christ and starting churches, he did so as a father who would raise his children. Now, continuing this analogy, then, Paul, as a father, is dealing with a very unruly child. Uh, the, the church at Corinth was uh, arrogant. They were prideful. They were willful. They were undisciplined. Uh, they were rebellious, and so he had a willful, difficult child to raise here. And yet he saw himself as doing so as a father would raise his children. So we're going to interlace those things today, uh, the, the true physical parent, the father, as well as the spiritual father, because that's what Paul himself is doing in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want us to notice how Paul handles his prideful spiritual child just as a father would handle his physical child. And first of all, a father loves his children. A father loves his children. Verse 14, it says this, chapter 4, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, before I had children... I thought it would be a snap. You know, I, I, I had the formula all down. didn't look too tough to me. I knew how to raise children. Uh, then I had some children. It's kind of like the preacher. I was, I was a little bit like the preacher, a young preacher, who when he first uh, started preaching, had no children, just got married. Uh, he preached a sermon. Ten sure fire never fell rules for raising children. Some years later, he uh, had a couple children of his own, and he preached the sermon again. This time it was ten principles on how to raise children. Some years later, after his children had reached their teen years, he preached it again. This time it was ten thoughts on raising children. <laughs> and finally, years later, after the children had grown up, he preached it one last time, but he changed the title to this, Ten Things You Should Never Do While Raising Children. <laughs> uh, that, that may there be more truth to that than you might think, right? I've noticed that uh, no two parents do raise, raise their children exactly the same. Even those raising them for God and using the scriptures as their guide, uh, there's different personalities, different uh, structures, and so forth. We all do it a little differently, but there's one common denominator in every good home, and that is that the parents love their children. 
They love their children. Even when their children do not appreciate that love, even when their children rebel against that love, even when the children deny that love, a true home, a godly home, is a home where children are loved by their parents. And Paul lets his church know that although they are rebellious people, and they are obstinate, and they are difficult, and in, in many ways they're immoral even, but he says in verse 14, they are my beloved children. They are the children that I love, my beloved children. He has some strong corrections for them, and he's going to give that throughout, but he says here, as I, as I come to you as my beloved children, I, I come to you not to... Uh, in any sense, shame you. Look at verse 14. Not to shame you, but to admonish you. He doesn't want to humiliate them. He wants to admonish them. The word admonish has a kind of a gentle tone to it in the Greek. It's an idea of correcting, but not causing bitterness. A correction that is not harsh or mean-spirited. It's a correction, to be sure. But it's done in love, just as Paul is showing that here. At this time, I find it interesting uh, when Jesus, remember what Jesus commanded, what we call the Great Commission? He said that to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them the things of Christ and so forth. Make disciples. And yet, if you uh, know the epistles very well, you'll know that, that, the, that Paul, none of the epistles, but Paul's 13 letters, never once does he use the word disciple. Never once. And yet, that's all he did was make disciples, followers of Christ. He came to Corinth six years before this or so, and what did he do? He gave them the good news of Jesus Christ. He came to them and he said, Here, you are a people that are alienated from God. You are a people condemned by your own sin. You are a people in bondage to sin. You are a people with an eternal destiny to be separated forever from God. But I've got good news. Jesus Christ went, on, went to the cross, died for your sins, died in your place, and has been resurrected from the dead, and now he is offering you good news. He's offering you the means by which you can be right with God. He's offering you a gift. It's a gift of eternal life. It's a gift of forgiveness of sin. It's a gift of being right with God. And you can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't be good enough for it, but you can receive it simply by trusting in him and his word. He promises that he will call, save all of those that call upon the name of the Lord. And when you recognize your sinfulness and you, want, and you turn from that to Christ by faith alone, he saves you from sin. And every one of these Corinthians had heard that message and everybody he's writing to now had received that message and were now Christians, followers of Christ. Then he moved on to disciple them in the sense of training them to walk with the Lord. And that's what this book is about. That's what his epistles are about. That's what his ministry is about. All he did was disciple people to bring them to Christ and to train them in the ways of Christ and the teachings of Christ. That's all he did. So that's all he, he discipled. And yet I find it curious that he never once said the word disciple. Instead, he says, I see you as beloved children. You see, although... I'm only guessing to a certain degree, the word disciple is more institutional, isn't it? The word children is family. Uh, the word disciple uh, is, Paul, Paul didn't see them as his students to be taught. He saw them as his children to be loved and trained for Jesus Christ. There is a difference 
It's, there's no contradiction between what Jesus says, what Paul's doing, but I think he's, he's giving us a flavor here, a depth of what a person does when they disciple other people. They're doing so because they love them. And certainly that's true in our homes as well. In verse 15, he says, You may have had many tutors, but you only have one father. Now, a tutor in those days was a different animal than what we know today. Uh, we know of a tutor as someone who's teaching us how to do math or how to do science uh, or whatever, sitting at home with you and teaching you these things. That's not what a, a first century tutor was. A tutor in the first century was a, usually a slave who worked for a very prominent, wealthy family of Romans or Greeks. And that slave's job was to take the children of that rich family and guard them, protect them, guide them. Sometimes teach them, but, but not necessarily. They also they, they made sure they were taught. They made sure they were taken to the places where they could be taught. And so they, they kind of guided every aspect of their lives uh, in the place of the parents, really. It wasn't a great system, but it's what they did. And that's what he says. You may have had many people guide you. You may have had all sorts of people come into your life and, and, and work with you and guide you and protect you and so forth, but you only have one spiritual father. And he says, I am that father. And I think what he is saying here is a father loves a child in ways that others cannot. You know, I, I trust that, uh, that many of you here love the children in our church. Uh, some of you teach very sacrificially. Some of you work in the nursery. Some of you just love them on a personal level. And all those that were up here today, I, I trust you'll grow to love them if you, don't even, if you don't know them yet. And that's a wonderful thing. And there's that love in the body of Christ that uh, is second only to the family. And it's so, so, so special. As I look back at my own life, uh, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for older people, adults, who loved me. Who took me aside, who cared for me, talked to me, acted like I mattered, taught me all these. Even when I was being a typical little boy, they still loved me. I don't know where I would be today without them. What a blessing they were in my life. And yet, the love of a parent... Is so much deeper, isn't it? That love of, of a parent for a child, how, how deep is that love? You know, only the love of a parent will put up with dirty diapers, sleepless nights. I tell people like, uh, 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 like Drew and Kara that uh, you are done sleeping now. Uh, <laughs> you will not sleep again for 20 years. So, so get used to it. You know, it's just, just the way it is, the way it's going to be here. You know, when, uh, who puts up with that kind of thing? Who would choose that, right, except a parent? Who would, who would put up with hours of piano practice in the early years? Or, as we tried to teach Brian, the saxophone. That, wow, that was, uh, I have stories about that. <laughs> who would uh, take their kids to hundreds of baseball games or, or camp out in the backyard or eat Chuck E. Cheese pizza? Uh, <laughs> Who would put up with the unbelievable expense of raising a child? Every time I see something that says it costs you half a million dollars to raise a child, I said, how'd that happen? You know, I don't think I've spent that much. I hope not. But, but they do all these things and much more, and they don't really count the cost. You know, why? Love. The deep, a love that cannot be measured. Only a child, only a parent of their own children would love that runny-nosed kid so unconditionally and even put up with their misbehavior and sometimes their rebelliousness. That's a love of a parent. 
And there, it, there's hardly any love imaginable that even compares to that kind of a love. So a father loves, but you know what else he does? He, he instructs his children. Verse 16, Paul says, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Love is wonderful and love is foundational. A good home cannot exist without love, I don't think, in the raising of children. But love alone will not suffice. It's possible to love your children very much and yet lead them astray. Some of you might have got into the Godfather movies. A little dark and tough for me, but some of you really liked them. If you watched any of those shows and remember them, this was the mafia. And the, the Godfather and all these fathers, I don't doubt, loved their children and trained them to be gangsters. Love is not enough. Proper instruction is absolutely essential. The father must bring his children up, as we saw in Ephesians 6.4 a moment ago, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So father teach, fathers teach their children. Mothers do too, but we're talking about fathers right now. Uh, we teach their children to live life in two ways for the Lord. Number one, by example. Paul says, therefore I exhort you to be imitators of me. Example. This word uh, imitators is the word from which we get our word mimic, to mimic, to pattern ourselves after. You know, there, there, uh, in the pastoral world, there is this cliche that says after a time uh, of a pastor being in a church a long time, your church takes on the personality of the pastor. The Lord have mercy on us if, <laughs> if that happens to be true here. Uh, and I could never stand before you and actually say, as Paul said here, uh, be imitators of me. I know too many flaws, too many areas where I cannot honestly stand before you and say that. But Paul kind of modifies that in chapter 11, verse 1. You remember? He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ Jesus. Now, I could say that. As I follow Christ, may you also follow Christ. May I set an example of a flawed pastor, a flawed man as one that you can follow as I follow Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. Children are natural mimics. Uh, we, we see that very early on. They want to be like mom and dad. They want to dress like mom and dad. They'll, they'll begin to talk like mom and dad. They'll take on our good points and our bad points. Probably our bad points more quickly, unfortunately. But they're going to mimic us. They're going to follow us. They're going to be, they want to be like us. And that can be used to our, our great advantage if we realize that if our children love us and admire us, that they want to be like us, to set that kind of example before them. Uh, I loved and respected my father, but I didn't know until my late 20s that my brother idolized my father. My brother was a year or so younger, and he absolutely uh, idolized my father. And I, I discovered uh, both before my father died, and my father died when my brother was about 30, that, um, that he, everything he did, he did for the approval of my father which I found fascinating because most of his life he disappointed my father. He didn't follow many of the things, but, but the guardrails of his life was in place by my father that he wanted to be like. Even though he often strayed, those guardrails were there. We can never realize how important it is that we set the guardrails for our children by the life that we live, by the example that we set. And that is true in the home, and it's true in the church. To some degree, there are people following your example, folks. Every one of you have somebody following you. They're looking at you. They're watching you. 
They want to see if you're the real deal or not. That's kind of intimidating, isn't it? But it ought to be something that we realize is happening. Someone is going to mimic your life. When it comes to raising children, sadly, a lot of Christian parents who would fill out a questionnaire that says, the number one priority of my life is for my children to follow Jesus Christ. That's what they would put on the questionnaire. But sadly, some don't live that way. In reality, they want their children to be great athletes, marvelous musicians, incredibly uh, wealthy when they grow up, have great, wonderful jobs, uh, do all these wonderful, wonderful things. Some of those are okay in their place. But that the children follow Christ, obey Christ, serve Christ, minister in the church for Christ, becomes an extra bonus and secondary in the reality of life. Something is very askew there, folks, if that's the case. When we had our people stood up here, I talked to them last week, uh, and, and I hope all of them are very much considering what I said then and today, that we're dead, when they dedicate their children to Christ, they're saying, I want to be an example. I want to raise them for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want to just say that on the questionnaire. I want to say that in the reality of my life, in the home that we live, that my children know that the Lord Jesus Christ comes first in my life. And we can have the same expectations, by the way, in the church. Uh, pastors and church leaders can be happy as long as people show up, as long as we have a good crowd, as long as they give their offerings, as long as they work the programs, uh, and we might be content with that. But let me tell you something, the Apostle Paul was not. He said, be imitators of me. As I follow Christ, you follow me. His, his goal was much higher it wasn't enough that they came to church, put in their money in the offering plate, and worked, did a thing or two once in a while. It was vitally important they followed Jesus Christ and lived for him. By way of application, let me just throw this out today since we're here. Let me, let me ask you, fathers in particular, your mothers as well, all those raising children or whatever age, what examples are you giving them at home and in your life? Do they know you love the word of God? They, do they see you reading it? Do, does it? Is it more than just a book on the coffee table? Do they see you opening the word of God and caring about what God has to say? Do they, do they know you love the Lord Jesus Christ and his word? Do they know that you pray? Prayer is the ultimate example of, of, of the need for the help of God. It, it's, telling, it's telling yourself, it's telling your family, it's telling the Lord that you are not self-sufficient. You need him. And that's what prayer is. Does your family know you pray? Do you pray with them? And how about the church? Are you part of a local church? And what you serve? And what you're involved in that body? And what you're ministering with the gifts that the Lord has given you? What about your work ethic? What about your moral ethic? What about your marriage? No marriage is perfect by any means, but does your, can your children look at your marriage and say, my mom and dad love them one another and they love Jesus Christ? And on we could go. Uh, we are setting examples, and our children follow those examples far more than we realize. It's a scary thing, really, isn't it? It's an awesome thing, because you and I know how imperfect we are, and yet at the same time, we know that we're being followed. But, uh, you know, uh, examples aren't enough. Verse 17 talks about explanation. We have to teach. He says, for this reason I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved 
and faithful child in the Lord. Notice he's continuing this metaphor of fatherhood. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Little children will follow examples, but they need explanation. They need to be instructed. Uh, And that takes more than simply an example to teach them properly. Remember what I read a moment ago in Deuteronomy? I want to read those verses again. Deuteronomy 6, 6, or verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding to you today shall be on your heart. Okay, there's the example. It is word of God, is the truth of God embedded in your heart. Then he goes on, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your, in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The systematic teaching of the word of God to your children and bringing them, by the way, to places like this, churches like this, that will help you instruct your children. You know, I don't know how many times some parent wants to raise their children for the Lord, but they don't bring them to Sunday school, they don't bring them to children's clubs, they don't bring them to youth groups, they don't bring them to things where the Word of God is being taught, and they can be learning from other people who love Christ, how important it is that we teach them in these things. Paul looks at Timothy, and I want you to notice once again, he is his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Timothy was family. What an attitude he had. Timothy was family. He wasn't just a a disciple of his. He wasn't just someone he had trained and set out to work in other churches. He was family. He was his beloved child, and he wanted the world to know that. He said, if you want to see an example of someone walking in the footsteps of myself as I follow Christ, I'm sending Timothy for you to look at him. Check him out. He walks the talk and talks the walk, as they say. He's the real deal. He'll show you and teach you in these things. So a father loves and a father instructs. Thirdly, a father disciplines his children. And we find that in verse 18. And we look at a couple thoughts here. Look at verse 18. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire, that I shall come to you with a rod? are with love and a spirit of gentleness. Two thoughts here. Number one, we, we need discipline. We need discipline. Why is it necessary to discipline children? Because children left to themselves will inevitably go astray. They'll go astray spiritually because we are not tuned in to spiritual things naturally. We're naturally opposed to the things of God by, by our very nature. And so they have to be taught so that they can, and disciplined in the ways of the Lord. We need to help them be conformed then to the will of God. Children left to their devices will do that. And that's even true in a, in a secular world. We, we can look around us and see that right now in America, really. Look at the undiscipline that we have all over. I read a book recently called The Death of the Grown-Up. The Death of the Grown-Up. And it wasn't a Christian book. It's a secular book written by someone who's observing our society. And as they observe our society, the thesis of the book was this. In Western cultures, they're falling apart at the seams because adults have left the playground to the children. And worse yet, more recently, the adults have become children. And there's no one left to monitor the playground at all. I found that very insightful for someone who has no idea about the things of Jesus Christ. 
just observing nature. If that's true culturally, and I believe it's increasingly so in our country, it's equally true in the church. Our society and often our churches are in desperate need of some grown-ups, people who are mature, people who, who are not be acting like children and behaving like children. They're growing up, and they're leading their others in that maturity. That wasn't happening at Corinth. Paul looked at these people and said, you'll become, verse 18, arrogant. In, uh, in this passage, a lot of translations find, uh, translate that word puffed up. You'll become puffed up. That, that's a real good description of arrogance, puffed up. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite Aesop fables in which a baby bullfrog was out in the pond and an ox came along and stepped on all his siblings and killed them. He ran home and told his mother, said, said to mom, there's a giant monster that came into the pond and killed all my siblings. And the mother said, I won't allow that. I'll make myself big enough to fight that thing. And so she started swelling up with, by, by swallowing air until she got so big she blew up. And at her funeral, remember this is a fable, at her, <laughs> at her funeral, a bullfrog said, well, if she did get as big as the ox, all she would have been was a lot of air. That's what puffed up means. Paul says, when I come, I'm going to find out if you're full of the Holy Spirit or full of air. Whether you're puffed up or whether you're spirit-controlled, there's a big difference. And when I come and if, and if I have to deal with that, then I have the authority of Christ. Christ has given me that authority as an apostle to deal with that, and I will because you need the discipline. As our children need discipline, so the Christians here and in our lives need discipline as well. In chapter 5, he gives us one example. The church at Corinth might be saying, well, we're not that way. Prove it. Show us an example of where we are being arrogant or puffed up. And so we're just going to touch on this. We're not going to get into it. But look at an example in chapter 5 and verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now we're not going to look at all the details here. I'll, I'll do that sometime later. But I want you to note that in the church at Corinth there was an immoral situation going on of such ugliness, a, so despicable, that even the culture of the first century thought it was awful. And remember, the first century culture at Corinth in particular was about as godless and immoral as you can imagine. Take the worst of America and triple it, and you've got Corinth. And yet the unsaved people of the world around looked at this situation in the church and said, that's despicable. So what the details are, we'll look at later on, but we do know this. He says, you, what, what are you doing here to allow this? And he says in verse 2, you have become arrogant or puffed up and have not mourned instead. What was, what's going on here? They looked at this situation and they said, we are so gentle, so loving, so kind, that we love more than the Apostle Paul. Better yet, we're more loving than God. Because we're going to love this guy in his sin, we're not going to deal with it. We're not going to discipline this individual. We're not going to deal with it. Because we love him so deeply and so much. 
we love more than God. And what did Paul have to say about that? You're puffed up. You're arrogant. You think your way is better than God's way. And when you think your way is better than God's way, you are nothing but arrogant. And so he gives them a very concrete example of that. They're proud. They're proud. One of the deepest sins in the lives of all of us is pride. Some believe it's the king of the sins. I don't, I don't know, but it certainly is one of the great sins. The arrogance that is evidenced by not submitting to authority, by putting yourself above the word of God and God himself in our families and in our churches. I've got a better way. I've got better ideas than God. And I'm going to go for it. Pride, by the way, is not a sin to work out. It's a sin to recognize and to repent of and turn from. It's a humbling thing to recognize the pride in our lives. Paul then exemplifies a good father. As a good spiritual father, he loved his children. He taught them the right way to live. He disciplined them as needed. And all that took great time and great effort to do that. So if we're going to be that kind of father or mother, our, our church people, it's going to take that kind of time to love and to discipline and to instruct. Since this is Father's Day and we're on this subject today, I want to, I want to close by, by reading a, the lyrics of a song. And as I do so, I'm, I'm just pointing to, to parents today who need to recognize the importance of raising those children. As we stood up here today with these group, these, these 10 couples, the, the importance of raising children for Christ is beyond imagination. There, there's nothing to compare in this life to raising our family for Jesus Christ. And that takes dedication, it takes effort, and it, all, it takes knowing the Word of God, and it takes the desire to do it, and it is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time, it's going to cost you money, it's going to cost you everything to be that kind of a father, that kind of a mother. So I'm going to read to you a song that, uh, that was very popular years ago. Some of you older folks will remember it. The young will probably not. It's called Cats in the Cradle. My child arrived just the other day, and he came to the world in the usual way. But there was planes to catch and bills to pay, and he learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day and he said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come, let's play. You can teach me to throw. I said, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away with a smile, never dimmed. And he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, I, I know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, uh, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You, you know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day, so much like a man I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can we sit for a while? And he shook his head, and then he said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Could I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You'll know we'll have a good time then.
I've long since retired, my son moved away. I called him up just the other day. He said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. And I said, I'd love to, Dad, but I can't if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle. My kids got the flu. But it's, it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. Our example of Christ-likeness is so important because our children most likely are going to grow up like us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the word of God that we've looked at today as Paul sees himself as a spiritual father and exampled by being a physical father. We pray, Father, for all the ones here that are raising children in particular. We pray for all of us, Lord, as we consider our lives before you and, and how you'd want us to live. And I pray in particular, Lord, for those that may not have ever surrendered their life to you for salvation, that today might be the day, on this Father's Day weekend, that they might, this might be the day that they find the true Father of all the universe. We pray in his name. Amen.